How many of you have ever been whitewater rafting? Whitewater rafting. All right. Uh, if you haven't, you ought to go. It's awesome. Uh, don't let my story today scare you. Um, we were uh, whitewater rafting in college and uh, on the New River in West Virginia. And, uh, and the New River in West Virginia has multiple different levels of rapids. Um, and uh, one of the rapids that we went on was a level five rapid. Um, and uh, it, was, it was awesome. Um, we were in a, a large boat uh, raft uh, that had eight people in it. And then we had a person who was on the back um, that was our guide. And they would man the oars and they would uh, guide us down the river. Um, and uh, give us instruction, bail when we needed to bail, all that sort of stuff, um, duck when we needed to duck, that sort of thing. And, uh, and so we were going over this, this Class 5 rapid, and uh, it was a significant uh, large stone that was in the river, and the water was going over it. We were going over it, and as we went over it, the raft uh, takes the shape of the stone. And so as we're going over it, the raft, the front end is going over the back end is coming over. The back end, the, the individual who's our guide is supposed to be strapped in uh, and is supposed to be secured to the raft so that they don't fly out. Uh, we go over the rapid, and, and we didn't know, and I don't even know that our guide knew, but they were not strapped in. And so as soon as the boat goes over that thing, and it's taking that shape over that rock, all of a sudden the back end acts as a springboard, and it springs, and the, the guide goes flying over the front of the raft, right over our head, I mean, I mean, it was like, you know, matrix sort of like, and it's going over our head, and this person goes into the water, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie, in that moment, I thought, I am going to die. This person, this person has just gone into the water and they're supposed to be the one that's leading us and guiding us and helping us and, and we're going to die. And, uh, and, and so we are like freaking out and it seemed like for eternity, but it was just for a few seconds because all of a sudden the dude puts his hand up and luckily we listened to the instructions at the beginning because it was, if you get thrown out, put your hand up, somebody will pull you in. And thank God, we saw the hand, and we pulled him in, and we survived. <laughs> Isn't that good? That's great. I'm glad we survived. But there's a truth that's in that story that I want us to focus on. And it's something that we're going to focus on over the next four weeks. And I'm not telling you that so that you'll miss the next three. Because this is a tough topic. This is maybe one of the most difficult that we're going to talk about. And it's this statement, this truth, I am going to die. I am going to die. And the reality is, not only am I going to die, but every single one of you are going to die. Death is something we don't want to talk about, but the reality is every single one of us, Hebrews talks about it. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, it is appointed unto every single one of us to die. You have an appointment with death. Jesus even had an appointment with death. Yes, God, 
Jesus Christ, God's son, had an appointment with death. And every single one of us in this room, every single one of you that are watching online, you have an appointment with death. And the reality is, is that I am going to die. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And I do not know. I do not know the day. I do not know how it's going to happen. I don't know what's going to go down. I, I don't have any idea, but what I do know is I am going to die. And you are as well. And it's a topic we don't want to talk about. It's a topic that we don't want to face. It's a topic that, that has, in a, in a very real way, become taboo in our culture. You don't talk about it. You don't think about it. You do everything you can to avoid it. You spend all this money. You spend all this time. You spend all this effort in order to avoid it. Don't talk about it. Don't bring it up. Don't anything because it's just too much for me to handle. And that's the reality. Death does, as our title says, sting. The, the sting of death is real. And every single one of us is going to face it or is facing it because we've had people in our lives that we love that have died that, or, or that are dying. And the reality is that's true of every one of us. We are all dying. Every day you live is one closer day to your death. And you are going to die. And we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to, we don't want to come face to face with the reality of it. And oftentimes we find ourselves blaming God for it, asking God why, looking at and, and saying, God, I don't understand this. And we get mad at God and, and we get mad at the person even that may have died because they could have done X, Y, or Z to, to make themselves live longer, or we get mad at the doctors, or we get mad at the hospital, or we get mad at whatever, and, and we, don't, we don't want to come face-to-face -face with it because we, we, we try to bury it, we try to bury our feelings, and, and, and then to even think about living on. Listen, I, I get it. I get that. I get that all too, all, all too well. And even this past week, man, I, I was struggling with that. Thinking about Shirley. Just lost her husband three weeks ago. God, why her son? And I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I've, I've sat in my office and just like, God, why? Why? But the thing is, is that if we're not willing to talk about it, if we're not willing to think about death, if we're not willing to deal with this very difficult subject, if we're if we're not going to do that, listen, it will have eternal consequences. Not, not just consequences for today, for now, for in the next few years. It is going to have eternal consequences if you're unwilling to think about your own life.
in the reality that I am going to die. You may say, well, why? why? Why is death a reality? Again, I want you to understand, I, this is the timeout that I have, the four weeks, all of this. What it, there's no way that we can do a complete deep dive into this subject. But my hope is, my prayer is, is that you'll think about it. You'll, you'll look at it. You'll, 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 you'll ask yourself, what, is, what do I think about this? What do I believe about that? And, and that you'll really allow God to speak to your heart. And here's the reality. We talked about this last week, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This, these verses are going to be so challenged in your lives by the reality of death. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Does, it, does death make sense? Does, does what happened in Shirley's life make sense? Does what happened in my brother who was only 18 years of age and died of cancer, does that make sense? No. No, it doesn't. And I got to stop. I can't lean on my own understanding in this because if I lean on my own understanding, then what ends up happening is I end up being filled with doubt. And when I'm filled with doubt, what did we say last week? It's like putting blinders on and you cannot see the reality of God around you. You cannot hear the voice of God speaking to you. You will not want to get into his word. You will not want to get on your knees in prayer. Why? Because of doubt in your life. And Satan wants to use that to get you to lean on your own understanding, to not trust God, and guess what? You're the one who will be in charge of the paths of your life and not God. And let me tell you something, when that happens, it will not end well for you. And so you must be willing to put this into practice. And the ultimate question is, is this, is God worthy to be trusted with death? Is God worthy to be trusted with death? And what I said last week is true this week. If God is not trustworthy with all, he is not to be trusted at all. Think about that in your life. If he is not worthy to be if he is not trustworthy with all, he is not to be trusted with at all. At all. So is he is he worthy to be trusted with death? Why? Why does Death has to be a reality in our life. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Again, this is, this is not an exhaustive look at this. This is not a deep dive into this. This is just surface. I realize that. And I trust and I pray that you will deep dive into it, that you'll ask questions, that you will go to the Lord and, and talk to him about it. But Genesis chapter 2, I want you to understand something first and foremost, and I want you to understand, as we read in in different verses, Genesis 2, just by caveat, is not a second creation account. And what do I I mean by that? Here's what some teach. Some teach that Genesis 1 is a creation account, and that's one creation that God did. And then they teach that Genesis 2 is another creation that God did because he messed up Genesis 1. That is not what Genesis 2 is. 
Genesis 2 is a deeper dive into what Genesis 1 talks about, specifically on how he created us, his prized, most prized, highly prized possession, highly prized creation. We're, the, we're it. We're at the pinnacle, the very top, because you and I as human beings are most valued by God. Why? Because he formed Adam with his hands, he formed Eve with his hands, and he breathed into their life the breath of life of God. Nothing else in all creation has that. I know we love to believe that all dogs go to heaven, but the reality is that's not in the Bible. Fido, Fufu, whatever your name, your dog's name is, I hate to burst your bubble, may not be in heaven. Why? Because they do not have the breath of life, a soul. No tree has a soul. No flower has a soul. The only thing that has the breath of life is you and I. We are God's most highly prized creation. And God loves us. And he formed us, he knit us together. The Bible says he knit us together in, his, in our mother's womb. And that is an amazing and wonderful and incredible thing. And you and I bear the image of God. Nothing else in all creation bears the image of God, only you and I. And so that's what Genesis 2 goes into deeper dive on. I want us to look specifically at verse 15. The Lord God took the man, who's the man? Adam. And put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Isn't it interesting that he wants man to work it and keep it? And this was before the fall. So working and keeping something is pre-fall and is not... So work, by the way, is not an act of... Uh, because it's sin happened. Just saying. Those of you that don't want to work, maybe you should reconsider that. Okay, I stepped on toes. I'll leave that alone. There it is. Verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. What is the result of not doing what God wants, death. You will surely die. Here's what's interesting is, is that being made in the image of God, being made in that image, God gives us, as he has, the ability to make a choice. He gives us the ability to choose. He gives Adam, pre-fall, the ability to choose between Good and evil, between right and wrong, between death and life. He gives Adam that choice. And he says to him, if you disobey, you're choosing death. That word death means separation. You're choosing separation. I'm giving you the whole garden to choose from. You can choose from any tree that you want except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat of it, and if you do, in that day, you shall surely die. Fast forward to chapter 3. By the way, the rest of chapter 2 is, I think, one of the most amazing, incredible events of all time, and that is that he creates woman. Oh, praise God. <laughs> praise God. And here's the reason why I say that. Not only, well, part of the reason is he's, he's looking, Adam is naming all the animals. 
And God looks at all the animals, and he's like, there's not a single animal that is suitable for man. There's not a, in other words, fits with man, connects with man, is on the same level as man, not a single one, so he creates woman. Woo! Yes! That's an awesome thing. All right. That was a little caveat. Here we go. Chapter 3. Chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He. Who is he? Well, the Bible identifies who he is, and he is Satan. Who is Satan? Satan is the great enemy of God. Not because God designed that, but because Satan chose it. Satan was God's, one of God's, the Bible says he was the most uh, beautiful of all created angels. And Satan chose to disobey God, chose to, to, to basically rebel against God. Why? Because he wanted to be God. And so he and those that followed him were kicked out of God's presence because God cannot have any, God's presence is holy, perfect, just, righteous, and sin does not work with that. It's like light and dark. Can't be in the same. And so Satan, you're like, okay, give me a little picture of Satan, like visual or illustration. For those of you that are, know who I'm talking about, you'll understand Loki. Okay? Think of Loki, except like infinitely worse. Those of you that are like, I have no idea who Loki is, don't, don't worry about it. Don't, just forget about it. Um, he's not the dude that's got pitchfork and horns and is red and has got a little spiky tail. That is not how the Bible describes him. Actually, the Bible describes Satan as an a angel of light. As beautiful. Well, which makes sense because if he's able to tempt people, if he's able to deceive people, he's not going to deceive somebody or something with something that, that doesn't attract. And so Satan, again, let's understand, what is he doing here? He's tempting, tempting mankind. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Isn't it interesting that Satan knows what God said to Adam? Just saying. Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Check this out. This is pre-fall. This is before mankind's sin. Notice what she's doing. She's adding to the word of God. Before Wow. She said, you shall not even touch it. That, she's saying that God said that. God did not say that. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. You know, it's interesting. Um, Jewish writers, Jewish theologians believe, and this is passed down through generation oral oral generation, oral giving of story. And I, and I don't think this is an addition to the word of God at all. I think it's just an, uh, uh, trying to understand why she decided to, to go ahead and take a bite. Jewish tradition says that as the woman was saying this, she was 
standing next to the tree and that the serpent, Satan, pushed her against the tree and made her touch the tree and said, look, you've touched the tree, you did not die. I thought, eh, I thought, oh, that's, sorry, that was one of the observations from my studying this week. I was like, wow, that's really kind of interesting. You didn't, you touched it and you didn't die. Because what's the next thing he said? Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will look, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. So what is Satan doing? Satan is attacking the word of God. He's attacking the character of God. He's going right after and exploiting mankind's ability to choose. And he's saying, God, did God really say that? You will not surely die. And he's, he is, he's taking, and part of what he's saying is true, right? Part of what he's saying is, he, he quotes God from what God said to Adam. But then he twists it, and he says to her, you will not surely die. And Eve ate of the fruit. She was tricked. She was deceived into eating of the fruit. But not Adam. Adam was right there. And the Bible says that she turned and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Adam willfully chose to disobey God. He knew what was right. He heard God say it to him specifically before he was even created. And he willfully chose. He was not tricked or deceived into choosing. He willfully chose to disobey God. And because he willfully chose to disobey God, the judgment of sin is on all mankind, and that is why the Bible says very clearly it was through Adam that sin entered into this world. Because he willfully said no to God and said yes to himself. And as a result, what happens is that death enters, separation enters, and you read the rest of chapter 3, and you realize what happens is, is that God forces Adam and Eve out of his presence, away from the Garden of Eden. And, and there is a separation that happens spiritually in their relationship with one another. And not only that, but if you continue to read in Genesis, Genesis 4 into 5, you find out about Cain and Abel, their sons. Cain kills Abel. And the very first time that they taste death, the sting of death is the loss of one of their children by the hand of one of their other children. And so they taste the separation from their relationship with God. They taste the separation from their relationship with their, with their loved ones. They taste death and ultimately both Adam and Eve die. die why 
Because Romans 6.23 makes it clear, for the wages of sin is death. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. All come short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12 says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 and 56. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. So death enters. Picture. Death becomes a reality for us all. And the truth that we started off with is the truth that I'm finishing with, and that is this. I am going to die. And so are you. So are you. But can I say something to you? Well, that may sound like really bad news. I want to give you some good news to end with, all right? You're like, dude, that was not encouraging at all. Uh, again, my point is not to, not to lift you up necessarily. My point is to help you think. My point is to get you to face this. My point is to, to, to again, allow us to, to look at this, talk about this, think about this, pray about this, seek God in this, realizing this, I am going to die. Yes, that is true, but here is a truth that is good, and it's this. I am going to die, but it's not the end. It's not the end. You read those verses that that I just talked about, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 55-56. Oh, death, where is your victory? Victory, it talks about the fact that death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But here it is. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, I am going to die. You are going to die. But my friends, what we need to understand is it's not the end. It's not the end. It's not finished. You and I have eternal life ahead of us. And the beauty of it is that Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, and he rose again from the grave and is alive today, defeating the power of sin and defeating the power of death. And he offers to us life. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, we see a, a, a prophecy about this fact that Jesus, who is the seed of woman, will come and bruise, he will crush the head of Satan. What is that? That is a prophecy that is a a look ahead and saying Jesus is coming and he is going to defeat death he is going to defeat sin he is going to offer you eternal life 
God's desire is, is that we would not be separated from him. God's desire is that we'd be in relationship with him. And the beauty even of Genesis chapter 3 is that when he is pushing them out of the garden, he offers to them clothing. He offers to them their needs. He meets their needs. Did they deserve it? No. But God's grace and God's mercy is on display even in Genesis chapter 3 all the way at the beginning. And he continues to offer to you grace and mercy all the way to this day. To understand this, yes, I am going to die, but it's not the end. It's not the end. There is eternal life. There is life in Jesus. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and to give it to you abundant. He didn't say, I've come to give you death and to give it to you abundant. He has come to give us life. He has come to give us life eternal. That is why you need to think about this. That is why you need to explore this. This is why you need to ask these questions. This is why you need to evaluate your life because your eternity is dependent upon it. My friend, isn't it awesome to know, yes, I'm going to die, but it's not an end. <laughs> it is not an end. Can I get an amen up in here? Thank you. It's not an end. Those of you that have lost loved ones, those of you that are thinking about people right now that are going through your mind, listen, the beauty of knowing Jesus is it's not an end. It's not an end. We, we hear all the time in this world in which we live that, that live for today because there is no tomorrow. Live for today. Do whatever you want today because there is no eternity. There is no God. There is none of this stuff. Just do what you want to do. Do what feels good. Don't worry about the consequences. Just live for now. Can I, can I just say something that is so extremely self-centered? And it's so self-centered that we lose sight of eternity. We end up living for stuff that will not last. And in this world, in this culture, in this Western culture in particular, we're so focused on us, we have no ability to think about eternity. Why? Because of the blinders. Satan has blinded our world, blinded our culture in particular to the truth of who he is. And while it's true you're going to die, God wants you to understand it's not the end. We're going to talk more about this in the weeks to come, and I hope you'll come. I pray you'll come. Be faithful in it. But again, I asked you earlier, hey, are you willing to ask God, God, speak to my heart? Speak to my heart. Can I ask you a question? What's he saying to you today? Here, here's something. It, we follow that up with this. Ask God to lead you to share it with someone. Here, here's an idea that will shock and awe value. Um, text somebody and say, I'm going to die. That'll start a conversation. <laughs> you want to start a conversation? Somebody, somebody going out for service said, I did that, and my sister's not going to like you. And I'm like, hey, just, you know, tell her it's my fault. Um, but, but he's going to have a conversation with his sister today about this. And he can say something like, I'm going to die, but it's not the end. Hey, I want to talk to you about this. 
Maybe, you know, soften the blow a little bit. But no, seriously, who are you going to share it with? Why do you share it? The reason you share it is because it cements it in your heart. It helps you to articulate. It helps you to get out there and tell others about Jesus. Because if you really believe that you're going to die and this isn't the end, then you want to tell them about the one who makes sure that they have eternal life. So who are you going to share it with? Who are you going to share it with? Right now. Get your phone out. Text somebody. Email somebody. I don't, whatever. Send them a, a whatever. If you want to get on FaceTime right now, go for it. I don't care. Whatever. Um, yeah, yo, what's up? <laughs> uh, I'm in church. I'm going to die. Uh, don't, no, don't do that. Um, but anyway. What's God speaking to your heart? I'm going to ask you if you would close your eyes by your head. Listen, I, I don't know what he's saying to you. I know he's saying something. I believe that he wants you to hear him. And he wants you to be transformed by him. Are you willing? Here's the, here's the reality. If, if you don't know Jesus, that's step number one. You need to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And you say, well, how do I do that? I, I want to do that. Talk to him. There's no, there's no magic words. There's no like set thing that you got to say. Just talk to him. He'll listen. And he wants you to just say, you know what, I've realized I need a Savior. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I understand, I don't fully get it, but I understand that you're the Savior. I want to be in relationship with you. Help me know. Help me understand. Help me to say yes to you. Put your faith and trust in him. If you say you know Jesus, are you living like it? Are you letting others know about Jesus? The one that we're talking about who gives us eternal life. Notice that verse that says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm glad you all come here to church, but you need to understand something. This church will not save you. Just attending this church will not mean that you'll be in heaven someday. Just because you know how to read the Bible or pray or whatever does not mean you have a relationship with Jesus. Just because you, you think that like a denomination name or a church name or, or something like that is going to get... No, it's through Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Are you living for him? If not, why not? And do, do, Don't be like Adam and Eve and try to blame somebody else for your problem. You read chapter 3, and, and one of the things that they don't do, they don't own up to the fact that they sinned against God. They want to blame somebody else for it. That's been going on since the beginning of time. Can I just say to you, stop it. Look at yourself. Draw the circle around yourself and say, God, change the person inside the circle. It's my problem. I need you. God, thanks Thanks that you love us. Thank you that you demonstrate grace toward us even, even when we say no to you. Even when we turn our back on you. You demonstrate grace. Just like you did with Adam and Eve. You demonstrated grace toward them. Did it mean that their life wasn't was just easy? That there were no hardship? No. Not at all. But you show grace to them. And you do to us as well. Today, Help us to say yes to you. 
God, thanks for your love. Thank you for your son, Jesus. His name I pray.